It's my desire that whenever I stand to teach God's word in any environment, any setting, my desire is to help people. There's a passage in the Old Testament where it says that God sent his word and he healed the people. So we all need healing. And with this series, like any other series, it's been my prayer that God would bring healing to us. Because many of us, if not all of us, we failed in this department of sexual purity. We've done things we're not proud of. We've experienced things that have shaped and changed our lives and not for the better. Some of us have had things done to us that we still haven't spoken about. But I'm so glad I serve a God who knows what we're going through. And he gives us all a word of encouragement. The Bible speaks a great deal about sex and sexuality. Old Testament, New Testament, can't escape it. And I'm glad the children are here today so that we can teach them in the house of God because there are so many messages that are bombarding them in our culture about sex and sexuality. But did you know or did you ever realize that the first noticeable thing that Adam and Eve experienced after they disobeyed God, the first noticeable thing that occurred was that they realized they were naked. That's the first thing. So before they realized they were separated from God and even from each other, they realized that they were naked. And so because of sin, their sexuality was marred. What was once beautiful and free in the sight of God as husband and wife was now something shameful and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And so ever since that time, we've inherited from them a fallen nature and a marred sexuality. But I'm so glad there's a redeemer. His name is Jesus, and he buys us back. He brings us back to God, and he transforms and redeems everything about us in this process called sanctification where we're growing and the Holy Spirit is making us more and more like Jesus Christ every day. And so there's hope for all of us today through the Redeemer, not through self-help or any of that kind of stuff that's in the world, uh, higher enlightenment and thinking and all of that. <clears throat> no, there's power as we just sang in the Lord and in his spirit to live the kind of life that God intends for us to live. And as Dr. Jewell said, what we're dealing with is countercultural, but it's biblical. I think the name of the church is still Strong Tower Bible Church, right? Not Strong Tower, what you think church. <laughs> what you feel church. No, it's Bible Church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Last week we looked at how the church at Corinth had questions for the Apostle Paul. Paul had planted the church, and he did so on his second missionary journey, stayed there for 18 months, making disciples, seeing men and women grow, people coming out of the world and into the kingdom of God in a very perverted and sexually overrun, illicit culture. Nevertheless, Light was shining in the darkness. A local church, a local community was birthed of Jews and Gentiles who came to saving faith in Christ. And they were growing in grace through faith. And Paul left there, went to another location, then went over to Ephesus and began ministering in Ephesus. And while in Ephesus, there were questions that the people in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth had, that they sent to Paul by messenger. And we looked at the first of those questions last week where it appeared someone 
had a question that pertained to can a man who's not married to a woman touch a woman in a sexual way? And that question could have been posed by people in the church who were engaged but not married. And that question may have been for Paul, how far is too far? How far can we go sexually? Can we touch each other? We're not going to have sex, but can we touch one another in a sexual way? And so we began last week by looking at verse 1 where Paul said, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. There it is. So this is speaking of touching a woman in a sexual way. It's not good for any man to touch any woman that he's not married to in a sexual way. Again, this is countercultural, but did I just read this in the Bible? Okay? And because we're not our own anymore, we belong to someone else. So now we live our lives for him and not for ourselves. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So we can either do it our way, man's way, that leads to death, or we're going to do it God's way, and that leads to life, because Jesus came to give us life, and life more abundantly. But to experience abundant life, we have to do it his way. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord, which means he's master. And so because he saved me, I'll do whatever the master bids. And when he gives me commands, he's so wise because he's omni-sapient. He, he has all wisdom. So when he's telling me not to do something, he's trying to protect me. Just like when our parents told us, don't touch the stove because you just might get burned. Lord, have mercy. Be careful who you touch, because you just might get burned. All right, don't go too far on that. Stay with me. Uh, and then, what we have in Paul. Paul, along with Jesus teaching in the Gospels, but especially Paul in the epistles, Paul lays the groundwork for what a Christian's sexual ethic ought to be. So we learn sexual ethics through what Paul teaches, this single man of God, he was, a, he was not married, and we're going to spend time talking about unmarried folks. We have a lot of territory to cover. I was told to take my time because this information is so important. But Paul is where we learn our sexual ethics from according to the Word of God. And so last week, we took a trip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go with me there. This is another letter that Paul wrote. Because as he tells the men not to touch women in a sexual way, women that you're not married to, we can also probably flip that and also say that women are not to touch men that they're not married to in a sexually promiscuous way, okay? So, so th this is coming to all of us. But we also went over to 1 Thessalonians last week, and we began to ask the question, man, okay, how do I do this? I need some know-how because I know what the Bible says, but can you bring it down and make it practical with where I live? Pastor, can you give me some know-how? And we all need know-how, especially in this department. So we're calling this today, we need some know-how, part two. Because although this is some basic stuff, Many of us have failed the basics, and we got to go back to basic training, and that's okay because the fact that we're here learning, we're alive, there is hope. Oh, yeah, great things are in store for us. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says that each of you should know how, you see it, to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor let me see, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he says that each of us should know how to possess his own vessel or to handle his own body. Each of us, all of us, but he makes it personal when he says each of us should know how 
to possess our body or to control our body so that our bodies do not control us. Are we there? Are we, are we okay? Are we tracking so far? Because if our bodies control us, that's called hedonism. And when you're involved in hedonism, that leads to heathenism. But Paul is saying, no, we're not like folks whose bodies control them. The Holy Spirit of Christ lives in us, and he is the one who ought to control us, but we must choose to submit to him. Oh, this is good stuff. So he's about to give some principles of know-how. Because, again, think of these cultures then. They're not much different from where we live. Um, I'm in the mall the other day, and you can't walk by Victoria's Secret and see behinds looking at you. Like, wow, okay. Wow, everywhere you look, sex is being used to sell everything. And they're trying to dumb us down to just accept these things as normal. And when we come along as people who are in the world but not of the world, and we stand up and say, that's not modest, that's not right, that's not righteous, that's wrong, we get persecuted. But getting persecuted for righteousness is a good thing, as opposed to getting persecuted for being doing the wrong stuff. Because you're going to get talked about, you're going to get put down, might as well do it get talked about for doing the right thing and standing for something that is godly. So there are some principles we're going to unlock today, five principles for keeping ourselves and our relationships righteous, okay? I want to keep myself and all my relationships righteous. So there's some know-how, some principles. I did not say rules. We're not after rules, because people who are given rules, they just want the law. Uh, and when you're given laws and rules, your flesh immediately wants to break the rule, break the law. But when we talk about principles, we're talking about wisdom to be gained. A principle is something that you can apply to your situation with the help of the Spirit of God, as opposed to me giving you a flat rule that's called legalism. Because what God may convict me about to do in my life, he may not talk to you about to do in your life, okay? Especially if, if, if there's something that is not written clearly in the Bible. But there are principles we're going to gain today. And so we'll review from the last two last week. The first principle is found in verse 3, which is know the will of God. You want some know-how? The first thing you need to know is the will of God. He says in verse 3, for this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. If you want to know the will of God, you must read the word of God. So if anyone asks you, um, should you abstain from sex before you get married? Here's the answer right here. It is God's will that we abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God. You don't have to pray about it. I wonder what God's will is. It's right here. This should not be up for debate. Okay, this is clear. But we make it fuzzy because we want to do what we want to do. So God's will is abstinence for unmarried people. Whether you're a teenager or an old ager, if you're unmarried, God's will is abstinence, to abstain from sexual immorality. Oh, boy. And God's will is for married people to abstain from sexual immorality as pertains to sex outside of the marriage covenant. You have to abstain. I have to abstain from sexual immorality because adultery is sexual immorality. Not just the act, but Jesus says, if I look on a woman in the wrong way, I'm committing adultery in my heart. And the Lord says, I want you to abstain from that, Chris. The people in the world, according to 1 John chapter 2, they're driven by the lust of the eyes. That should not be the case for men who know God. They should not be disrobing women when they look at them and meet them. I was at a church the other day, went to a funeral. It was the funeral for the family that we assisted 
uh, last week. And I just want to thank you for sending in, I mean, not only money, but top-notch quality goods. The things we were unloading off the truck into their home were better than things I have in my house. And I was so proud and said, man, thank you, God, to just love this family. So we had the funeral uh, on Friday. Two caskets. The first time I ever participated in a, a double funeral like that, these two men had been burned in their homes, burned alive, 20 years old and 23 years old. And we're there for their mother, Amy, and trying to encourage her and the family. But before we could get into the church, I'm outside with the family because in the black church tradition, the family comes in last. Everyone else is in. And while I'm outside, one of the ushers from the church is greeting people as they come in. But he goes overboard by complimenting the women in ways that were just not proper. So as they're coming into the church, this brother said, <laughs> he said, you done turned this walkway into a runway as fine as you look. I'm here to tell you that's not appropriate to hear before you go into church to have a funeral. So I started listening to the brother because he had some game on that. He, he was saying all kind of stuff to these sisters, talking about their hair, their clothes. Yeah. I said, oh boy. And I'm wondering, you know, because the pastor of the church was next to me. I'm like, that's your boy over there. You going to check him? I'm not going to check him. But he kept saying stuff. So we got to watch um, these things that are not appropriate because the word for sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea. Pornea. And pornea is where you hear the word pornography. So sexual immorality in the Greek pornea is a word that speaks of any illicit sexual activity. It's a word that has a broad range to cover a lot of things because there's a lot of illicitness out here, pornea. And Paul says it's the will of God for every Christian to abstain from illicit sexual activity. Again, I don't have time to run down the list, um, but keep this in mind in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Paul says that this thing called pornea should not even be named among you. If you're a Christian, it, this stuff shouldn't even be a part of who you are. It shouldn't be named among you. Ah, thank you, Lord, for sending your word to heal us. We got to know the will of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God. So we don't have to pray about it. Number two, know who you are and know who you are not. Verse five, because Paul says, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So one way to know who you are is to know who you are not. And when he says like the Gentiles who do not know God, he's saying like the unbelievers. Gentile was a term that he was using in this context to speak of someone who doesn't know God. So when people don't know God, according to Paul, what he's saying here, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. They live this way because they don't know God. Their lusts and their passions, that's what they're driven for. That's what they live for every day, the weekends. They'll get with anybody, anytime. They're like dogs like George Clinton, who in his song, Atomic Dog, he, he says, there's nothing but the dog in me. Ah, that's the world. But I like Mary Mary, how they sing, it's nothing but the God in me. Oh, you got to switch them letters from D-O-G to G-O-D, because when you get a transformation, he'll do that to you. You can't blame the flesh and say, you know, that's just how I am. If you're a Christian, that's how you were. So I got to live differently because I am differently. And it's not rules. This is not from the outside in. I got to keep rules. This is from the inside out, a transformation of your very being. I'm a new person. And the old has passed away. And behold, all things have become new, even how I talk to people sexually. And so when someone does not know God, they cannot and they will not abstain. When you don't know God, I expect you to do what sinners do and sin. But if you do know God, God expects you to abstain because you can and you will with his help. So when you know God, you live differently than people who don't know God. So know who you are 
and know who you are not. Thirdly, know what, can, what you can and cannot do. Uh, here it is now. We're about to start cooking with grease here. Look at verse 6 again. It says that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. The Hebrew, or rather the Greek terms for take advantage of, is a Greek word that means to go beyond the proper boundaries. So if you're taking advantage of someone, you are going beyond the proper boundaries, according to the Greek word. It means that you are trespassing. When you trespass, somebody puts up a sign, no parking here. And if you say, I'm going to park here anyway, you're trespassing. If they say, um, you can't solicit in this neighborhood and you do it anyway, you're trespassing. If they say a sign, private property, and you go there anyway, you are trespassing. And if a sign says, do not touch, and you touch anyway, you are trespassing. When I was dating my wife in college, and this teaching was brought to my attention, I realized that I could not trespass on private property. Yeah, 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 yeah. The word helped keep me, keep, kept us from sinning because her body did not belong to me when we were dating or when we were engaged. Her body belonged to the Lord. And so I couldn't go places with my hand or any other part of me because that was not my body. I, but in 1 Corinthians 7, when we cover that in a little bit, the husband's body belongs to the wife. The wife's body belongs to the husband. But when you're dating, your body, that, that don't belong to you. So I had to really imagine no trespassing signs all over Darina while we would go out dating. <laughs> it worked. The first command that God gave to Adam, listen to this, it had freedom and restrictions. Okay? When God gives a command, it's not always, you don't do this, you can't do that. Stick with me. God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, and he commanded the man. He commanded him. He said, you are free to eat from every tree that's in this garden. So when God gives a command, he's giving it for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ sets us free. So Adam and Eve had freedom in that garden, freedom to eat from all these different fruit trees in the garden, freedom. The first thing God says is what they can do he doesn't say what they can't do first. Then that's religion. Religion tells you what you can't do first. and gives you rules and a box to live in that someone else came up with because that's what they struggle with. So they impose that on everybody else. No, God says, you're free, Christian. And so Adam and Eve, they were free. And if you're dating, you're engaged, you are free to date. Don't let people tell you dating is not found in the Bible. There were arranged marriages in the Bible. Y'all want to bring that back? No. It's not in the Bible. Dating. Come on, y'all. Don't, don't be that kind of person to interpret the Scriptures that way. The word Bible is not even found in the Bible, so slow your roll. So beware of people wanting to put rules when God says, first, you're free. So you're free to go out on a date with someone. You're free to go out on a group date. You're free to hold hands if that's what you agree upon as a couple. You're, you're free to kiss if that's what you agree upon as a couple. You're free. But you're not free to do what married people do. I'm going to say that one more again. You're free. But you're not free to do what married people do. And so God says to Adam and Eve, y'all are free. But then he comes with a restriction. Because a command has freedom, but it also has re restriction, like two sides of a coin. Freedom, restriction. And he says to them in Genesis 2:17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he comes to him first, you're free, but here are some restrictions. Listen to this. You never want freedom without restrictions. I know there are kids who just want to do what they want to do, 
but parents have to give them restrictions or else you will hurt yourself with your freedom. Okay, I see some of y'all not feeling me. All right. Would you rather drive on a street that has a lot of curves and turns and blind curves at that? A street that has lines or doesn't have lines in it? Give me the lines, right? Because if the lines aren't there, it's easy to drift. And if you drift around a blind curve, you just might drift into oncoming traffic. But when the lines are in the street, they help hold you accountable to stay on the right side of the street. You see what I'm saying? So, so when you stay within the boundaries that God sets up, it keeps you safe from getting smashed in oncoming traffic. But there's some of us who say, erase the lines, Pastor, I'm good. I, I can figure this out. Okay. All right. But give me the lines down the middle of the street because they keep me where I'm supposed to be. Which goes into the second part of verse 6 when he says that we are not to defraud one another. So we're talking about knowing what you can and what you cannot do. I can't take advantage of someone, which means to trespass in a place that I'm not supposed to be. I need to have boundaries. And then he says here, you're not to defraud from someone. And this word defraud means to cheat someone, to obtain something from someone illegally or deceptively to defraud. Uh, have you ever had an unauthorized person use your credit card? You ever lost it, misplaced it? First thing you do is let me go find out if they've been using it. Because if they use your card, they are stealing from you. They are defrauding. They're cheating and they're taking something that doesn't belong to them. And what Paul is saying is that when we're having sexual immorality going on out here, people are defrauding one another, they're stealing from one another, they're taking something that doesn't belong to them. They are unauthorized people doing unauthorized things with folks. So I just want to ask you, are you dating someone who's defrauding you? Are they taking something from you? Because until you marry them, they're not your spouse. That's the problem with, you know, serial dating. You date, you date, break up, date, break up, date, break up. And you're giving people access to you that by the time you marry the person God has for you, you've been all over the place. So don't give to people what is not theirs if they're not your spouse. And when I was dating Darina, this thought came to me, there's no guarantee we're going to get married. I know we're engaged and we've been dating for years, but God could throw a left turn. I, I don't know, or I might not make it or something. I don't know. I could pass away. But I want to have this peace of mind knowing that when I, if, if she didn't marry me and I went to the wedding of the person she married, I could look that man in the eye and say, I did not take what did not belong to me. I didn't defraud. She belongs to you now. I didn't put my hands on her in a way that would take something that wasn't mine. So, so that was another conviction that helped hold me. Oh, boy, now, 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 now I got to move into this one here. Number four, know what God might do. Okay, all right. Here we go, verse 6 again, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. What matter is that? Sexual immorality. So don't be a defrauder and don't be defrauded. If that's going on, get out the relationship. Somebody's putting their hands all over you, touching on you, get out of the relationship. If you're that person, get some help and get out of that relationship. You don't need to be dating anybody. You don't have enough self-control to keep your hands to yourself. He says, because the Lord, when, when, when people defraud folk, remember, because we belong to God. So when folks defraud God's people, he says, the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. So if, I need, if I'm going to get some know-how, I need to know what God might do. 
The Bible says here that God is the avenger. Mm -hmm. An avenger is someone who carries out justice on behalf of someone who was previously wronged by another. An avenger. They, they come to the rescue. Not only to save and protect the person, but also to inflict justice upon the person who hurt the person and harmed them. I love watching kung fu movies. And in just about every kung fu movie, somebody's going out to avenge their master. Because somebody killed their master, poisoned their master. So they're going out to avenge, to have justice for a wrong that was done. And God is like, look, look, if you touch on folk who are my people and you defraud and you take advantage, watch out because I am an avenger. We don't like to think about God like this. Again, when I was dating Darina, I had a healthy fear of God because I knew she's not mine. She belongs to God. I'm not going to trespass on God's property because if I do, God might deal with me. All right, break it down. I didn't want to put my hands on her because I didn't want God to put his hands on me. Same is true now as a married man being around other women. Don't you put your hands on other women because you don't want God to put your, his hands on you. Because I don't know about you, but I still fear God. I know he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. But Hebrew says he's also a consuming fire. The Bible says that God is not mocked. If you sow this, you're going to reap that. Okay? So, so there's a healthy fear. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. There's some stuff I can't watch or won't watch, rather. And there's some stuff I won't do because I'm afraid of what God might do to me. We need to bring some of that back into the church. Because God loves his children enough to spank him. And we can choose the sin, but we can't choose the consequences that come. So again, there, we all need, because to fear God means to take him seriously. Yes, he's love, but he's also just. You can't fool him. There is a sin unto death, uh, John said. But he's like, but I don't want to find out what it is. Neither do I. God is the avenger. You know, in the movie Avengers Infinity War, the villain was Thanos. And Thanos had this weird way of thinking. He's like, I'm going to do the universe a favor by depopulating it, taking it down so that it will be healthier. So I'm going to acquire all the infinity stones so that when I snap my finger, a portion of people will die and the universe will have balance again. Nobody asked him to do that. He gets away with it. My son and I go to that movie, and I walk out of the movie like, wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to end. Black Panther disintegrating, you know I felt that. I was like, what's going on up in here? He snapped his fingers. So I had to wait a year, or was it two years, for Avengers Endgame. Because in Avengers Endgame, the Avengers got a game plan to deal with the villain. So the Avengers got together, got a game plan, and they were able to defeat Thanos and undo the things that he did. And when we think about dating, some of us are Thanos. We date people, and we're taking from people. We snap our finger, and the person we're dating, do, they do what we want them to do, even if it's destructive to their end. So we're either Thanos or we're dating Thanos. And the Lord is saying, I'm coming to avenge this situation here. Because I don't want you to be Thanos taking from people. And I don't want you to be with Thanos where stuff keeps getting taken from you. I'm here to avenge. And one of the things I learned early from Darina's father, because I told you, I feared God, but I also feared him. Y'all don't hear me. Y'all don't understand. You're a Baptist preacher, but he ain't been saved all his life. You don't be messing over his daughter. And he so revered God that when his kids were dating someone that he and Mom Mac weren't really feeling because they've been praying for the kids from before they were born, 
praying for their mate, praying for their spouse, praying if God has marriage for them, praying, and then they start dating some knucklehead person. Here's what he told me. He said, Chris, you got to pray some in and you pray some out. The avenger comes, and he'll move some stuff out. But not only that, he might inflict you. He might harm you. He might break you. He might expose you. Because the stuff that's done in darkness will be brought to the light. And you think God don't see what you've been doing, and he's been giving you time to repent, and you've stopped taking him seriously, then God is like, okay, the, the best way I can love you right now is to expose you. The avenger is there, but we got to grow in our fear of the Lord. Paul said to the church in Corinth, knowing the fear and the terror of the Lord, I'm persuading you because we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians will stand before Jesus at the Bema seat. Our sins have been judged, but he's going to judge the quality of our lifestyle. And I don't want to stand before God as a whoremonger. Well, you know, Jesus, I know you gave me all power, but I just couldn't get that one right. I just kept chasing skirts. You know, Lord, I, I know I was married, but I love having side pieces. Like this pretty little thing at my job. She, she just knew how to do it right, shake her dress. I, Lord, Yes, he's forgiven us, but there are consequences. We will have to answer. Because what you were doing, you hurt your children. <sighs> Finally, know what you're called to. If you're going to get some know-how, know what you're called to. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. He says, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. What did he call me to? Holiness. He didn't call me to uncleanliness. What is that? That's worldliness. People who don't know God. He didn't call me to that. He didn't call me to pornography. He didn't call me to any of that. He called me to holiness or cleanliness. Why? Because he put his Holy Spirit in me. And the Holy Spirit wants things that are holy. And as I walk with the Holy Spirit, holiness occurs in my life. Holiness is not perfection. We'll never experience perfection until we're in the presence of God. But holiness simply means I'm set apart. That's what the word holy means. You are set apart. In other words, you're different. You're unique. You're set apart from people who don't know God. You're not better than them, but by the grace of God, you're better off than them. And you should want to share salvation with them because you're saved by grace and God wants to save them by grace. But this is just not getting a seat in heaven. This is showing folks in the world what heaven looks like when Christ invades a person's life. And I don't leave holiness in church. Holiness is not just what I wear. It's who I am. I love comic books. You know that. I probably got, man, over 10,000 comic books. My wife is special. She allows me to have all these boxes in the front room, comic books. But up on the wall, she's allowed me to put my most expensive comic books on the wall, my most valuable comic books on the wall. So I have all these boxes, and then I have the ones on the wall. We had to do uh, homeowner's insurance not long ago, had to renew, and they were like, um, what's the value of your comic books in case there's a flood and, or fire, and, and, and you want to be able to recoup the value of your comics? And I'm like, there's no way I'm going through all of these boxes to try to determine the price of these comics. Let's do the value of the ones on the wall, because watch this, they're really the only ones I care about. <laughs> you can come in my house and rob me blind from what's in them boxes. But if one of my ones on the wall is missing, I'm coming for you. Why? Because the ones on the wall are set apart from the ones on the floor. There's a value inscribed in them. Oh, man, they are sanctified. They are set apart. And God says to us, you're set apart from the ones in the world. You, you've been raised 
and you're seated in heavenly places. Not on a wall, in heavenly places. Let us live up to what we've attained and who we are. And stop living down here where we get flooded and all that stuff. No, no, I'm up there. I'm different because he made me different. So I'm going to do different. Really, different ain't different. It's normal in the sight of God, but it's different to the world. Which is why Jesus says if anyone's going to enter the kingdom, if they're going to see the kingdom, they got to be born again. Because there are people who can't see this kind of living. Dog, I can't see that abstinence. Dog, I can't stop going to the poke uh, club and the strip club. Dog, I can't stop. I can't see how you live not having relations. Well, the reason why you can't see this is because you might not be born again. Because when you're born again, you can see the kingdom, and this is the kingdom. Your flesh don't like it, but the flesh is overruled today by the Word and by the Spirit of God. So we are called to be holy. You know, the, the, the bangles, I didn't follow the bangles. Not the bingles, but the bangles, a women's group. They had a song called Walk Like an Egyptian. Walk Like an Egyptian. Now, my question to them was, if you've never seen an Egyptian, how do you know how an Egyptian walks? Because in the video that has 60 million views, from the 80s, all the permed out hair, the girls, big hair. People in the video keep doing this and walk like an Egyptian. And I'm like, I don't think Egyptians walk like that. They're over there in Egypt, you know, walking around the pyramids. No, nah, no. Nah. They got that from the hieroglyphics and the paintings on the wall of that. And so when they would see these kind of postures, they took from that that that's how Egyptians walked. My question is, how does a Christian walk? Not how an Egyptian walk. How does a Christian walk? Because you got people around you who want to see what a Christian walks like. And you better not be out there doing this, I tell you that. The way we learn how a Christian walks is by reading the Word of God and seeing how Jesus walked. That, that's how we learn how to walk. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. The flesh has desires that are contrary to God. There's a battle that goes on, but God says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't act out those desires. How do you walk in the Spirit? You depend on the Spirit. When you're walking, it is an act of dependency. I'm putting my weight on this leg, my weight on this leg, and I'm making progress. Walking in the Spirit is when you put weight and dependence on the Spirit, and He will allow you to make progress. You are participating with Him in the sanctification process. It's not all up to you, and it's not all up to the Holy Spirit. It's a communion. It's a partnership where you listen to Him, you yield to Him, you submit to Him, you rely to Him, you talk to Him, and through that, you can say no to the desires of the flesh. That's walking in the Spirit, walking like a Christian. But not only do you need to walk like a Christian, sometimes you got to know how to run like a Christian. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't the Bible say flee sexual immorality? Because in the midst of my walk, sometimes I got to run. Sometimes I'm walking my dog and a dog comes out. We both running. So every now and then, when you're walking your walk, something will come at you. Don't stay there and just overanalyze it and say, wait a minute, uh-huh. Run. Flee. Joseph, when he was being uh, hit on by Potiphar's wife, he didn't sit and try to interview her. He didn't try to invite her to church. He didn't try to get into a prayer meeting with her. He said, I got to run up out of here. And he ran. When's the last time you ran from temptation and not just gave in again? Oh, boy. God says, run. I remember a time I had to run. I had to run on a regular. Yeah. Because of the culture. I got to run from that TV show. I got to run from that movie. Got to run from these people. Uh-uh. Because -uh. if you had discernment, you could pick stuff up. 
Not only in people, but people can pick stuff up in you. If there's play in you, you give off the scent of being a player. Uh, I ain't got time, but I'm going to preach it anyway. <laughs> people know if you play. They can smell it in you. But then also people see that you're upright. They smell that, and they want to see if they can break you down. How real is your God? Are you really committed to him if you're unmarried? Are you really committed to him and your spouse if you are married? There are people who will try you, but you need to stand and know when to run. I won't even tell you any of my stories right now. Come talk to me later. I'll tell you some of my stories. 1 Thessalonians 4.8, let's close. Paul says, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So if you reject this teaching about abstinence, trying to get some know-how on how to live godly and have godly relationship, if you reject this, you're not rejecting the preacher. You're rejecting God that the preacher is talking about. So, so I'm not going to be hurt if you unfriend me, change your membership over this message. I'm not taking that personal. I'll pray for you. But God is like, you're rejecting me. So I want to know, are you rejecting this teaching right now? Are you like, oh, man, uh, you just don't know my situation. If I put her out or him out, my bills are going to be funny. You know, uh, you don't understand what I'm going through. Uh, because if I break up with her, somebody else might get her. And if I stop having sex with him, he's going to call me names and they're not going to want me. And I'm not going to be invited around anymore. If you reject this teaching, you're rejecting God. But I love how he says, the God who's also given us his Holy Spirit. We're back to the Spirit again. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, you should agree with this teaching. Uh-huh. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to agree with this teaching. So he's talking to Christians. Act like who you are. So again, there's some things that need to change. Back in the day, we would have to get rid of the little black book. Today, you need to delete some people out of your contact list. Because if you reject this, you're rejecting God. You don't want to reject God. Because you don't want him to reject you. The fear of the Lord. Come on. He gives us the Holy Spirit. What's so important about the Holy Spirit? Once again, he gives us the desire to live for God and the power to do it. Ah, we come back to the Spirit. Today, I don't need to give an altar call. There's nothing magical about this front, these stairs. You can meet with God anywhere, anytime, and talk to him about this. Some of these principles of know-how, but depend on the Spirit. When, when I'm in an airport and I'm carrying bags and I'm trying to get to the next flight, carrying these bags and I'm going, every now and then I'll see an escalator. And if it's working, because some of them don't work, I get on the escalator and I, let the, I work with the escalator. And I'm walking, and the escalator is moving, and it almost feels like I'm gliding. Has anybody ever been there before? He's just gliding on this thing. You're not working as hard as when you were out there on your own, but you are working, but you're gliding as you're walking, and, and you're just moving. And as you look around, you're moving faster than the people who are not using the escalator there, the, the, the conveyor belt. And so you're doing your thing, and, and sometimes I'll be so tired I just stand there and just rest on the thing and let the thing carry me. And then when I feel like people are looking at me and they say, who that lazy dude, I start walking again. <laughs> I just stopped by here today to tell you that the Holy Spirit is like that moving conveyor. He wants you to walk with him and to depend on him. So stop trying to do this on your own. Get on the Holy Ghost conveyor belt. Because when you do that, you'll start gliding when you're walking. You'll be making progress like, wow, look at this. You won't sweat as much if you try to, versus trying to do it on your own. I'm going to try to do it. No, no, no. He wants to help you. And if you're tired from all the 
baggage you've got. They say, God, would you take these burdens? You can rest on the conveyor, and he'll keep carrying you in the right direction as you get your strength from on high. And then the Spirit will say, now it's time to start walking because this is a partnership here. Then you start walking, and you look back at all your old friends that ain't on the conveyor better the Holy Ghost. They're still out there pulling bags, holding uh, each other, grabbing each other, and, and you just over there on the Holy Ghost conveyor belt moving along to your next destination where God's going to take you to the heavenly places. Fly the American skies with the Lord God Almighty. But get on the conveyor belt of the Holy Ghost. Let's stand for prayer, everybody. Let's stand. Yeah, we got the Holy Spirit. We got help. Yes. Holy Spirit is real, y'all. He woke me up this morning with a word for me. Because I went to bed kind of carrying some burdens. He woke me up and gave me a word. I turned to the scripture. That was a word for me. He helps you like that. Let him help you. He combats fear. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. What are my friends going to think if I start living for God? He doesn't give you fear. He gives you power. He gives you love. He gives you a sound mind. Stand strong. Join us today at 3 o'clock at Poplar Grove Elementary for the dedication service that I'll preach for the Empowerment Community Church. Come join us at 3 if you can. Uh, go home, get you a little bit of food, maybe a short nap, and then come join us. Now, don't take a nap because you won't get up. Uh, 3 o'clock, come join us. Let's encourage this church as they get started. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. I pray, God, that we had ears to hear what you were saying to each one of us since you want each one of us to know how to possess our bodies in sanctification and in honor. And you're speaking to some of us about conversations, mindsets, activities, alliances, and friendships, and relationships. You're speaking to us about habits. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much to give us another opportunity to hear your voice and respond through repentance, to hear your voice and be encouraged that we're on the conveyor belt, going in the right direction. Oh, God, thank you that you meet each and every one of us where we are. Lord, I pray you watch over our children, our students. We pray against secrecy and secluded relationships and against not wanting to talk to their parents. We pray against that in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that there will be openness. We pray for parents to model before their children the kind of lives that should make their children want to follow. So if we're single, single parents, divorced, widowed, Lord, let us live the way you've called us to live. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. So encourage your folk as we go. And would you please keep us from falling and present us faultless before your throne with exceeding joy and grace. You are the only wise God, our Savior. We give you all the glory, the dominion, and the majesty right now in this moment and forevermore because you're worthy and all of God's people said amen amen you gotta holy hug somebody before you go about it here now come on and bless somebody come on and hug somebody